Hello and welcome to The Almost Forgotten, the podcast that looks at the lives of great historical figures who have fallen through the cracks of our collective memories. This episode will look at the Hohenstaufen clan's successors to Barbarossa, his sons Henry and Philip. Both were capable rulers who looked to follow in their father's footsteps and expand imperial power. Henry had significant successes, but neither lived long enough to truly become remarkable emperors, and they were succeeded by the rival Welf clan, although they too didn't last very long on the throne. Maps and images can be found on the website, almostforgotten.squarespace.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at almostforgottenpodcast.gmail.com or find me on Twitter, at the Almost Forgot. This is Season 9, Episode 8, Hohenstaufen Part 2, Henry and Philip, and Otto, I guess. And this is the Almost Forgotten. After the death of Emperor Frederick Barbarossa on the Third Crusade, the Holy Roman Empire and its constituent kingdoms were left in the capable hands of his son, Henry VI. Henry had been ruling the empire and the kingdoms for at least a little while already. The titles had been given to him, but certainly when Barbarossa left to go to the Holy Land, Henry was considered to be fully in charge of the homeland. Henry was born in 1155 in Nijmegen a town that is today in the Netherlands, just on the border with Germany. At the time, it was part of the Kingdom of Germany, and of course part of the Holy Roman Empire. His father had gotten him elected King of the Romans, or Germany, by about age four. Unlike his father, Henry could read and write, and understood Latin. By the 1180s, he had become active in the governance of the empire. He was officially the king, even if his father ruled the empire, and he helped settle disputes and lead armies under his father, or on his own, although he hadn't led any major campaigns yet. He was engaged to Constance, the daughter of Roger II of Sicily, in 1184. This was after her nephew, King William II, named her as heir to the throne, should he remain childless. Henry, 19 at the time, no doubt saw the same opportunity as his father did, to join southern Italy with the empire that held northern Italy, and stretched all the way to the Baltic and North Seas. At some point that year, Henry survived the Erfurt Latrine disaster, in which the wooden floor of a building collapsed, and dozens of German nobles fell into the latrine and died. I won't go into the details, but it was not a pretty sight. Henry was there on his way to asserting some German authority in the Northeast. Not a terribly important event, but when do I get to mention a latrine disaster on the podcast? Anyway, in 1186, less than a year and a half after the betrothal, Henry and Constance were married. She was about a decade older than him, and the two did not have a particularly loving relationship, at least not in the end. Henry saw the political gains with the marriage, Constance probably did as well, although of course she had even less say in the matter than Henry did. Henry, already securing the Holy Roman Imperial crown and the German kingship much earlier, didn't face too many issues there early in his reign. But just like with his dad, Italy would be a problem. And surprisingly for a Hohenstaufen, during Henry's reign, at least, we're not talking about northern Italy. 
See, in 1189, around the same time Barbarossa was sacking Philippopolis or Adrianople, William II died in Sicily. Barbarossa may have found out in time to consider returning and securing the throne for his son and daughter-in-law, but decided to forge ahead, dying in that river in Cilicia in 1190. That left Henry to fend for himself, and not surprisingly, the Norman lords of Sicily, descendants of Vikings who had carved out, through conquest, lands first in northern France and then in southern Italy, weren't necessarily on his side. One of the leading Norman Sicilian warlords seized the throne for himself. Tancred, the illegitimate son of Roger III, who was never king himself but was the son of the great King Roger II, declared himself king of Sicily. So that made Tancred a grandchild of Roger II. He was born in Apulia and was closely related to Roger II, although not as closely as Constance was, and being the son of an illegitimate son probably didn't help. But he had spent his life in the service of Sicily. Okay, at one point, he did invade the palace in Palermo with his uncle in an attempted coup against King William I. But after that, he led Sicilian military forces in attacks on Thessalonica, Cyprus, and Alexandria. He was, by 1190, a well-respected general, if not always well-regarded. So his presence in the palace, along with support of some of the Norman leadership who were probably more interested in a Norman Sicilian king than a German one, let him seize the throne. Of course, Henry wasn't interested in any of the details, other than someone took his, I mean his wife's, crown. So he gathered an army and marched from Germany into northern Italy. The friendships that Barbarossa had secured with the Lombard League remained, and Henry called upon his allies for help. He stopped to be crowned, along with Constance, as Holy Roman Emperor by the new Pope. Since he could travel without harassment through Lombardy and the Papal States, rather than start with an attack on the island of Sicily, it was much easier to go after the continental portion of the kingdom first. His march down towards Naples, which was part of the kingdom of Sicily, and the most important city in southern Italy, went well for him. But at the city itself, he met fierce resistance. The siege of Naples wasn't just unsuccessful. It was darn near disastrous. According to Thomas Curtis Van Cleve in his book, The Emperor Frederick II of Hohenstaufen, quote, Henry's first expedition, undertaken in 1191, ended in failure. The Genoese fleet and the land troops of the king had failed to coordinate their efforts during the siege of Naples, and a pestilential fever had immobilized the army and attacked the emperor so violently as to give rise to rumors of his death, unquote. His allies from Pisa could not gain a foothold in the city, and his pals from Genoa were crushed. His own forces had to abandon the siege and retreat in a hurry back to friendly territory. Unfortunately, he had left the empress in the fortress at Salerno so she wouldn't have to wait in the army camp while he took Naples. But as his army fled, all the conquered towns went back over to Tancred. The empress was stuck behind enemy lines, essentially, and was captured. Before Henry could valiantly save his wife or whatever, he, uh, went back to Germany. It wasn't for lack of forces or lack of love for his spouse, although maybe that was part of it. Instead, there was an actual threat to his kingship back north. Henry the Lion, the Welf, one-time pal and later enemy of Barbarossa, 
had returned from his exile to exact revenge on the Hohenstaufens. So Henry the Emperor came back to deal with Henry the Lion, who had destroyed the very rich Saxon city of Bardovic. This was revenge for the commercial hub not supporting him earlier. Supported externally by England, and sort of internally by some help from the Low Countries, he found his allies in Germany melting away as the emperor returned home. Emperor Henry was already tamping down the wealth threat when something, or someone, really fell into his lap. Richard I, King of England, also known as Richard the Lionheart, ally and supporter of Henry the Lion, no doubt because of their feline affinities, was captured by Duke Leopold of Austria on his return from the crusade. Leopold, who had commanded the German troops in the Siege of Acre after Barbarossa's son Frederick died, wasn't given honors after that victory. And it was King Richard who said the Austrian's banner didn't belong up there with the kingly ones. This was about snobbery and status, not fighting or bravery. Actually, the Austrian flag design supposedly comes from Duke Leopold's tunic at the Battle of Acre. It was so bloody from the battle that it was all red other than a white stripe where his belt had sat. So, Richard, captured by the very duke he belittled, was handed over to Emperor Henry, because the Norman-English king was a major supporter of the guy who was trying to overthrow said emperor. Oh, and Richard also fully supported the Norman-Sicilian Tancred. So, you know, he was a legit enemy. It was at this point, according to Van Cleve at least, that Henry really started contemplating a universal empire, something like that of Charlemagne or ancient Rome, with England and all the lands the Plantagenets controlled in western France in his possession as a vassal kingdom, it wouldn't take much to add France itself to the roster. But Henry didn't act upon this dream, as taking the Angevin Empire into his own wasn't realistic, and so instead, he settled for a massive ransom to free the king. This allowed, in 1194, Henry to have the funds to take on Tancred in Sicily. By this point, though, he didn't need to rescue his wife Constance. Taken to the palace in Palermo for captivity, Tancred was careful to treat her very well, despite some advice otherwise, because of her popularity among the Sicilian people. She was released in 1192. The Pope was involved in these negotiations, and he recognized Tancred as king in exchange for her release. Henry, though, wasn't about to give up his, I mean her, rights to the southern kingdom. He gathered an army and began marching south when, lo and behold, Tancred died. Now, Henry was already in the process of getting his invasion ready, but this certainly helped his cause. He and Constance kicked off their tour in Milan with great ceremony. He got his Pisan and Genoese allies to sail out and await him in Messina, on the island, while he marched down and took back Salerno. Salerno, where Constant was captured a few years back, was destroyed. The rest of southern Italy soon yielded to him without a fight, and he sailed over to Messina in the fall of 1194. According to Van Cleve, quote, on 20 November, he made his triumphal entry into Palermo, where, on Christmas Day 1194, in the cathedral, he received the crown of Sicily. Meanwhile, the empress, en route to join the emperor in Palermo, was compelled to delay her journey at Jesse, in the March of Ancona, in the expectation of the imminent birth of her child, unquote. 
That child was initially called Constantine, but was soon renamed Frederick Roger after his two powerful grandfathers, Frederick Barbarossa and Roger the Great. Speaking of powerful, Henry didn't formally try to incorporate his new kingdom into the empire technically, but in his mind it was already there, and he was ready to continue his empire's expansion. Universal Empire, though, was not the only thing on Henry's mind as he prepared, after taking Sicily, to head off on crusade. In preparation, though, Henry got the German princes, who, mind you, were loudly opposed to a hereditary monarchy, to elect his son Frederick Roger as king. This isn't necessarily contradictory. It's that the princes were good with the next Hohenstaufen as king. They just felt they should be able to choose that rather than it be some automatic thing. Okay, whatever you gotta tell yourself. Henry spent the next few years consolidating his hold on Sicily while preparing for his crusade. There was an attempted overthrow in 1197, which may have involved both the Pope and, wait for it, Empress Constance, which was revealed early. Henry gathered some trusted men in Messina and ended up going to battle against a rather large rebel force outside of the city and came out victorious. Horrible deaths awaited the conspirators, other than Constance and the Pope at least. The Pope's involvement wasn't shocking. He was now completely surrounded by Henry's possessions, and the Papal States were in imminent danger should Henry decide to take advantage. Constance's motivations and complicity are less apparent, and I won't really speculate upon it. Suffice to say, it is generally agreed upon that she was part of the rebellion. Henry, however, was soon gone anyway. In ill health, perhaps suffering from the effects of malaria he had contracted years earlier, Henry died in late 1197, while waiting for his brother Philip of Swabia to escort the young Frederick to Germany for his coronation. Philip had been originally destined for the church, it seems, although the deaths of several of his brothers even before Henry died seems to have veered him off that path. News of Henry's death made Philip's journey through northern Italy more dangerous, and he seems to have dealt with some amount of fighting. Frederick Roger, meanwhile, was taken back to the safety of his mother, who happened to be in Palermo. Back in Germany, the anti-Hohenstaufen crowd, led by the Archbishop of Cologne, was gaining steam. They wanted to put Henry the Lion's eldest son, also named Henry, on the throne. But that particular wealth happened to be on crusade, so they pulled in another son, Otto. Philip, meanwhile, seemed initially content as protector and regent to young Frederick Roger, but that position soon seemed precarious as an opposition group supported the Welfs. The chaos in Germany, after the death of the king and the succession of a four-year-old, only grew, because that anti stofen team held their own election and crowned Otto. Whether it was of his own accord or his arm was twisted by his supporting princes, Philip accepted his allies' entreaties to become the king of Germany in place of his nephew. Now, it may seem obvious that Philip took over in place of his nephew because he wanted to be the one in charge, but even contemporaneous sources seem to suggest Philip really was just trying to be the regent. They blame the Archbishop of Cologne for stirring up the rebellion and forcing the Hohenstaufen side to push Philip to take the crown, which he did apparently reluctantly, like for real. For the next decade, there would be two German kings, while Frederick Roger stayed out of the fray in Sicily. But there was also conflict over Sicily. 
Philip wanted control of that kingdom, not so much to take it out of young Frederick's hands, so much as to keep it out of Constance's, but more importantly, to keep it united with the empire. He sent a trusted lieutenant, Markward of Onweiler, who launched a campaign to take the island of Sicily, and by 1201 had conquered his way into Palermo. He captured young Frederick Roger, but despite the Pope's fears, he did nothing other than act as his regent and allow him to get the education a future king should have. Back in Germany, the years after the coronation were filled with edicts and attempts to get the Pope on side. Otto was eager to do just about anything the Pope asked in exchange for being crowned as Holy Roman Emperor. Philip, on the other hand, had something to lose. He didn't want to give up his family's claim to Sicily. The Pope's biggest motivating factor in the German kerfuffle was to keep himself from being surrounded by the Hohenstaufen clan. So by about 1201, he said Otto was the rightful king, although this didn't really affect anything. By 1204, Philip had won several battles which led to more defections to his side. While the Pope wasn't about to turn into a Hohenstaufen ally, Philip was able to get the Archbishop of Cologne in his corner. He then was crowned again, this time by said Archbishop in the traditional style of a German king. Philip and Otto fought each other's armies directly in 1206, and Philip came out on top, although the victory must not have been complete, as there were negotiations after the battle that went nowhere. However, this seemed to be the beginning of the end for Otto. The Pope unbanned Philip, and Otto's allies became few and far between. It seemed Philip might settle into the role as King of Germany, and after a few years of battering Otto, might even get to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. It would have been interesting to see if he ever would have stepped aside for his young nephew, or tried to start his own dynasty although at this point he had no surviving sons, and he worked to keep Frederick's German ties strong, despite the boy's absence from the kingdom. Look, it's hard to read Philip's true intention at this point, but with no male heir, it made sense for him to try to protect his nephew. It also made sense to try and keep him close, just in case Philip ended up with his own son. We don't know what Philip truly wanted because fate, or rather an assassin, intervened. Philip was killed by a totally different Otto, the Count Palatine of Bavaria, a Wittelsbach who was subordinate to the Wittelsbach Duke of Bavaria. It's unclear whether Count Otto acted alone, and if he had any real political motivation other than revenge. The thought at the time was that Count Otto was angry at Philip for the ending of his betrothal to Philip's daughter, as a more powerful ally was found for her. Going back in the line of Frankish kings, Philip was the first to be assassinated since maybe Dagobert II, king of Austrasia, until 679. Unless you count Clothar IV in 718, but, I mean, who counts Clothar IV, right? Okay, so you had the Merovingians, then the Carolingians. After Charlemagne's big empire broke up, they continued to rule East Francia, were followed by the Conradines, well, Conrad, then Henry the Fowler and the Ottonians, with Otto I, who revived the German tie to the Holy Roman Empire. After his dynasty, there were the Salians, the Suplenberger Lothar, before Conrad III kicked off Hohenstaufen rule. That's like five centuries, maybe more, between assassinations, which is pretty impressive. And it gave me the chance to say Merovingian and Austrasia, two of my favorite history words. Okay, back to Germany today, and by today I mean 1208 AD. 
The German princes may have been interested in furthering the Hohenstaufen dynasty, but they probably didn't see a viable option. The 14-year-old Frederick was in Sicily, while the adult, and still supported by an army, Otto, was right there in Germany. It was an easy choice. Civil war was civil war, messy and unpredictable, not to mention bloody. And Otto was a wealth. He wasn't a ridiculous choice by any means. So he was unanimously elected king of Germany soon after Philip's death. Even the Hohenstaufen's closest supporters accepted Otto. Henry of Calden, who had served with distinction for many years under Henry and Philip, received permission to avenge Philip's murder. He pursued the assassin and killed him, cutting off his head. Satisfied he had delivered proper justice, he became a faithful advisor of the new king Otto. Eager for peace, the German magnate saw a tidy solution, getting Otto to marry Beatrix, King Philip's eldest daughter. This would make Otto the Hohenstaufen leader, at least in Germany, as Frederick was still down south. From Van Cleve, quote, As these arrangements were completed, the German heritage of young Frederick of Sicily appeared to be lost forever, now the possession of the Saxon House of Wealth, the traditional enemies of the Swabian Hohenstaufen, unquote. Otto was solidifying his rule, just a few years after defeat seemed inevitable. He negotiated with Pope Innocent III and convinced the Holy See that he would concern himself with northern lands only, that the papal states were not his business, and that Sicily was actually a papal fiefdom. And so, in late 1209, Otto was crowned Holy Roman Emperor. It didn't take long, however, for Pope Innocent to regret his decision. Despite all manner of oaths, Otto made it pretty clear he was going to run roughshod through Italy, giving out lands in places like Tuscany and Spoleto. Essentially, he was acting as if he were in charge of what were considered the Papal States. And he spent time in Pisa, clearly planning an assault on Sicily to destroy that young upstart, Frederick Roger, who happened to technically be under a regency that swore allegiance to and claimed authority from the Pope. But hey, this would help him end the rival Hohenstaufens forever and take the kingdom of Sicily for himself. The Pope was not the only one annoyed with Otto. Many of the German princes and bishops found their lands being taken away and given to Saxon nobility, or worse, English allies. Otto's close alliance with Richard the Lionheart and then his successor had seen him through the roughest of years. England's motivation was simple to help create another enemy against Philip Augustus, king of France, unlike the cordial atmosphere between France and Germany that had been maintained under Barbarossa and his sons. Seriously. In 1210, Otto marched into the kingdom of Sicily, the part on the southern Italian mainland. And so, in response, the Pope excommunicated the man he had crowned Holy Roman Emperor just a year prior, as you do. Pope Innocent and Frederick Roger had an ally in Philip Augustus, as the king of France was an enemy of the Welfs. That's because they allied themselves with England, whose kings were trying to claim the rights to the crown of France. For Philip Augustus, it was simple. Support the Hohenstaufens, or be surrounded by enemies. Together with the Swabian and other disaffected German princes, they began to stir up real revolt in Germany. Real enough that Otto felt the need to leave Sicily and return there. That timing was really unfortunate for the new emperor, as he was set to invade the island. Apparently, there was a ship in the harbor at Palermo 
ready to take King Frederick Roger away to safety as his fall was seen as imminent. Otto slowly worked his way north, leaving his new Duke of Spoleto in charge of taking southern Italy. He got to Lombardy in late 1211, early 1212, reaffirming his power there before crossing into Germany. Once there, some of the rebels came back to Otto's side, nothing like the actual presence of the emperor to help convince people they should be on his side. Although Otto had some allies, the Pope was not one of them, and was actively helping young Frederick turn the tables. By the end of 1212, Otto would find that, rather than him being a major threat to the Kingdom of Sicily, the King of Sicily was now a major threat to him. Desperate for victories against his rival, Otto officially married Philip's daughter in July of 1212, making a solid claim that the two houses had been brought together under his reign. But young Beatrice died less than a month after the wedding, leaving him in worse shape than before. His Swabian allies deserted him in the middle of the night, leaving camp and setting out to find Frederick. Otto took his army to prevent Frederick's entrance into Germany, but was unable to secure the city of Constans in Swabia before Frederick arrived. This was not an easy city to besiege, especially with limited forces, so he retreated north, up the Rhine, to Cologne to regroup. But this was seen as an ignominious retreat, and he lost more allies along the way. Emperor Otto was finding himself turning into a pretender for the throne. Frederick received funds from his ally, the King of France, and distributed these widely enough to be crowned as a new King of Germany in 1212. We'll talk more about that next episode, but the upshot was that though Otto could still call himself the Holy Roman Emperor, he was technically no longer King of Germany. He still had an opportunity, though. Many Saxon and other German lords still supported him, as did his ally, King John of England. And together, if they could crush France, he would end their support of Freddy and maybe come out on top. The problem was, Otto didn't actually direct his forces to doing that. Instead, what Van Cleve writes off as the punishment of local enemies in Saxony and Thuringia, Otto was probably just trying to secure his power base. He was able to secure it enough to keep Frederick's army from conquering there, so it may well have been the right decision. But it didn't end up well. To the west, Philip Augustus and King John of England, played by Peter Ustinov as a cartoon lion, were battling. France prepared a fleet for invasion of England, and it was making a practice run against Otto and John's ally, the Count of Flanders. The boats were parked while the army was besieging Ghent, and the English fleet happened to luck upon the practically empty ships. They destroyed a bunch before the French knew what was happening. Philip Augustus quit his siege of Ghent and returned to find his fleet in ruins. He burned whatever was left to keep it from falling into Flemish hands and lost something like 400 ships in total. The result was that John had free reign on the English Channel, and in 1214 he brought his own large force to retake Normandy, and the rest of France, because why not? He had a solid plan. He would land in relative safety in Aquitaine, come around south of Paris, and draw Philip Augustus out to do battle, while Otto and their allies from Flanders and Brabant would come down from the north and east, taking Paris, or at least surrounding the French. But Otto, busy punishing enemies in Germany, came late. Or maybe John just wasn't up to the task. By the time Otto got there, 
John had retired west into his more secure holdings in Aquitaine in southwestern France, after being pushed back by a force led by France's crown prince. John retreated upon encountering the French army, in part because he didn't know if some of his troops would defect. Otto gathered his allies and began to march, probably expecting Philip Augustus to still be regrouping from the battle with John. Philip Augustus, however, showed off his skill as a commander by quickly moving his troops into Flanders. Outside of the Flemish town of Bouvain, the two armies met in a pitched battle. Otto commanded the center, opposite to King Philip, with the Count of Flanders commanding the imperial allies on the left and the Count of Boulogne commanding the right, with English knights under the command of King John's half-brother there as well. To his credit, the emperor fought hard in the middle. Infantry casualties were massive on both sides. At one point, King Philip Augustus was almost killed, as the imperial push made it all the way to his position behind his troops. He and his knights successfully pushed back and eventually turned the tide in the middle. The wings were easier French victories, although for different reasons. The Allied right collapsed after King John's half-brother was captured, while their left was able to advance and rout an early attack before French knights counterattacked what was probably at that point a scattered and unorganized Flemish cavalry. The French wings began to fold onto the imperial center, and Otto was unhorsed. As more French knights came for him, the Germans dragged him off, or at least helped him get away from the battle. Otto left behind the imperial standard and fled home. The battle was as important as any of the time. It basically ended the English threat to create a truly united Angevin empire, a kingdom covering England, Normandy, and Aquitaine. John had to hand over the county of Anjou, the core of the English king's claim to the region, hence the term Angevin. Soon after, he also had to sign Magna Carta back home. For France, it soon became the most powerful kingdom in Western Europe, as well as the richest, as Philip Augustus now had free reign and a much stronger position. As for Germany, it spelled the end of any real threat from Otto to retake his position. Frederick had gathered a force to help his ally in France, and while Bouvain happened before he arrived, he still marched west. The princes of Lower Lorraine, the Low Countries, soon found themselves accepting the new king of Germany, who happened to have a large army with him, while Otto fled to the safety of Cologne. In that city, the trade with England was too rich to resist, and they stayed loyal because King John said they'd have to if they wanted the money to continue to flow. Otto soon returned to Saxony, although he found that even there he had few allies. He tried to grow his territories in the north, but was unsuccessful. He crossed the Elbe to the east with an army, but was forced back. He retreated to his stronghold of Brunswick in Lower Saxony, and soon became ill and died in May of 1218. He died without much power at all, but he was still technically the Holy Roman Emperor, for whatever that was worth. He was the only wealth to ever hold that title, and with his death, the power in the realm would officially move back to Clan Hohenstaufen, under young Frederick Roger, soon to be known as Frederick II, one of the greatest monarchs of the Middle Ages. So who were these men in between the Fredericks? Well, Henry seemed to be a suitable heir to his father, he was able to combine his secure role in Germany with northern Italy, which was stable thanks eventually to the efforts of his father. And after reconquering his wife's birthright to Sicily, he basically held all of Central Europe. 
He first thought, holding Richard the Lionheart, that he might be able to gain England too, which could lead him to controlling France. All of these as vassal kingdoms, to his universal empire, of course. But it doesn't seem like he ever really contemplated antagonizing his ally France in any way. At least not before he took England, which wasn't going to happen. So he began to turn his attention east. Crusade and even Constantinople were both on his mind before he died. According to the Cambridge History of Medieval Political Thought, compared to Barbarossa, quote, Henry VI proved to have an even more grandiose conception of Roman emperorship, and through combining in his person the imperial and Sicilian crowns, faced the papacy with encirclement in Italy. Henry also, considering his Roman emperorship to be unique and universal, definitely planned to conquer the Eastern Empire which he held to be ruled by a Greek usurper. His early death in 1197 prevented the fulfillment of his designs and removed the immediate threat to the papacy, unquote. Henry continued the Hohenstaufen vision of empire, but his brother Philip wasn't so lucky. His time was spent trying to cobble together his place in the whole mess after Henry's death. Sicily was lost to him for a time, and he had to gain control of Germany first. But, also his father's son, he was essentially victorious in securing his northern possessions and was ready to dream of what might come next when he was assassinated. Otto the Welf was different than his rivals. While they were inclined to make promises they wouldn't necessarily keep with the Pope and others, the Hohenstaufens seemed to have earned the respect and trust of their vassals by doing things like rewarding them and, at times, increasing their power. Otto, on the other hand, immediately turned against his biggest ally in the fight against any rivals, the Pope, and seems to have angered many of his vassal lords by his treatment of them and of their people in their lands. It might be said that the Welfs, or at least Otto, were lacking in something that the Hohenstaufens had in spades. Charisma. Next episode, we'll finish up our look at House Stauffer, with the life of Frederick, his time gaining the crown of Sicily and securing the German throne from Otto, before moving on to his eventful adulthood, which held some of the very same setbacks and successes as his grandfather Barbarossa. Thanks for listening. <laughs>